Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Few Your Friend of Podcast. My name is Sate. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome you back. So we had to take kind of a, an impromptu week off last week. We apologize about that. There yeah. was a bit of a, a, just kind of an overload situation on both of our parts. We were just kind of needing an extra week to kind of recollect our thoughts and kind of come back to the center, as it were. And uh, <laughs> we appreciate your break. patience. Yeah, absolutely. And. And uh, so we, we appreciate your patience with us and uh, uh, understanding. Uh, and if you're not understanding, I don't know why you're still listening, but whatever. Uh, but we want to thank you for being a part of it. And uh, uh, as always, if you want to reach out and get in touch with us, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can always hit us up on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash feel your fandom. You can drop us an email at feel your fandom at gmail.com. Or at the backup email address at fyftalonbooking at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at fuel underscore your, on Instagram at at fuel your fandom. And as always, we are always taking donations for the Fuel the Future program that gets comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. And you can find us on Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal at at fuel your fandom. And we certainly appreciate, even if you have a couple bucks to toss our way, uh, anything that every little bit helps uh, to, to create the next generation of fans. Absolutely. And we've seen it in person, we've seen it up front and personal. Uh, the, the 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 joy that happens on the face of a young kid who's just knee deep in their new fandoms it's it's freaking palpable it's it's lovely and we love to foster that so anything you can do to help we are here for but be that as it may Jim how you doing buddy you know uh, it occurred to me after a bit of self reflection um, being as we're uh, Kind of in that mental health space, because we talked about um, just now taking a little break from mental health last weekend, that when you asked me about that, uh, my, my sort of go-to is the weather. And part of that is because it's like a classic small talk concept, but the other part of it is that like the weather here where I am is so volatile. Like, for instance, uh, it's April, and it's been snowing the last couple of days, which is always a giant pain in the ass. But, you know, I um, I don't want to do that this week. I don't want to fall back on the classic, you know, how you doing? Well, you know I, better, because it's nicer outside. But I almost that, did that, too. I almost went, hey, yeah. Jim, how's the weather over there? You son of a bitch. Wah, wah. Now you're picking I, on me. No, I pick I on myself. didn't want to be a dick. Um, no, but I, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I will jump right in there and be a dick on your behalf then, because yeah, it's, it's something I, it's my go-to. But because I am somebody who uh, deals with seasonal affective disorder, uh, right. it is uh, always something that sort of ties into my mood. Uh, I take vitamin D like it's going out of style, but still, there's just you know, there's there's nothing. It's like that 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 classic meme of the uh, the, the barefoot Contessa of uh, yeah, if you can't get. Uh, Naturally sourced dragon tier store bought is fine. If you can't get naturally sourced vitamin D, the store bought will be a stopgap. But there's really nothing like that meme again that I know I've referenced it before that floats around on Facebook so much. Of uh, you really don't really understand how much seasonal affective disorder is a thing until you go outside in that first nice day in March and it feels like you took ecstasy. That's just it's a <laughs> thing that happens. So uh, that's, that's a little bit of foreshadowing of some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. But before we dive face first into that, how the hell are you doing, my my good friend? I'm doing okay. I uh, had a, a, a successful swagging this morning. Uh, met this guy off a of offer up and went and uh, picked up another of the uh, new 3DS, the new Nintendo 3DSs, and dirt cheap. And as opposed to the last two I picked up, this one was in remarkably good shape. Plays well, holds a charge, battery's not dying. So 
overall very successful so my day started out pretty pretty good that is Uh, great yeah so it's not something that i have to fix until i break it which i've come to realize is my my mo at this point yeah fix it until it's if it ain't broke don't fix it if it is broke fix it until it's broken some more right um I, i i bit the bullet over the weekend and i i actually signed up for yet another streaming service and i think at this point i'm at least two or three of those over any money i would have saved for cord cutting but I finally broke down, and I subscribed to Paramount+. Plus. Now, oh, boy. Uh, anybody who's listened to this podcast before knows that uh, I make no bones about the fact that I'm not a Star Trek fan. I don't hate it. I respect it. I love Star Trek. It's just not oh, yeah. one of those things that I, uh, I really jumped on a long time ago, and so many fandoms start early and start young, and I just feel like at this point, because I'm such a completist, that if I started Star Trek, I'm kind of late to the boat. I'd have, you know, 60 years worth of stuff to catch up on, and I just don't There's have the patience There's so much time. But, new Star Trek, though. You can yeah. jump in anywhere. I understand that, but I just, I'm, the the person that I am, I just look at the backlog and I go, uh, the back captain's log, if you will, I don't give a shit if you want, <laughs> but I look at that and I just go, man, I just, I don't have the time for that, but... I do want to watch the new Halo series, and that is something I will definitely catch up on once all those are out. And there are a couple other things that are coming to Paramount Plus. The Jackass movies are on there, and I, I hate that I love those so much. But one of the reasons I got it, actually the primary reason I got it, and this is ridiculous, uh, but I'm not going to uh, to apologize for it because I don't apologize for my taste in pop culture. But I started More watching. Sushi. I started it, it, the uh, Ink Master has been hanging out in my Netflix queue for ages. I watched the first two seasons of it a long time ago, and they're about 10, 12 years old now. So That's it's not like it's a fresh show. new reality series. Yeah, it's hosted by Dave Navarro, and uh, they bring in all these tattoo artists from all over the country. It's basically your classic reality show elimination-style format. It's like the American Idol of tattooing, um, or the last comic standing of tattooing, what have you. They just bring in a bunch of tattoo artists of different disciplines, different skill levels, different experience bases, and then they throw all kinds of challenges that are tattoo-related at them. And they're looking for a very versatile, well-rounded tattoo artist, which is difficult because a lot of people specialize in, I primarily do Japanese style, I primarily do black and gray portrait style, I primarily do new school style, but they make them do all kinds of different things they're not familiar with, and they test them on their fundamentals, and it's just a a stupidly engaging show. But I got through the only two seasons that they had on Netflix. I'd watched season one and two, and they just dropped season three three and four on the Netflix Okay. And so uh, we watched those, and we're just looking for more, and found out that they're, they're, the other seasons are streaming on Paramount Plus. So, ten bucks a month again down the drain for that. But there's enough there's stuff coming so up on there. There's so much that's, more uh, on Paramount Plus. Yeah, and once I'm not I, once just I get caught up on Master, I'll definitely catch up. Like Star Trek, yes, I absolutely love Star Trek. I'll, I'll scream it from the rooftops, and all the new Trek is just great because there's just such a wide variety now. Yeah. But in addition to that, we are now two episodes into the run of Halo on uh, Paramount+. Plus. Now, see, I'm definitely going to catch up on that once they all drop. I don't really like that. I, I, I vastly prefer the way that Netflix does these things. And I think Hulu does them that way, too, a lot of the time, where they just drop the whole season at once. Because oftentimes I find myself with just a day to blow, and I just want to sit down and watch something from stem to stern and, and uh, you know, tail to, to snout. And I just, I see. I it's can't tough do to that. do that. Well, you, you got a life and kids, you know, and uh, so that's the thing. Uh, you have other priorities. Oftentimes, I sit there and look at my weekend and go, well, I'm broke as fuck, and it's cold outside, so I just want to sit in front of the TV and, like, stave off the cabin fever with, like, a series, and that's what I've been doing with full seasons of Ink Master. But, um, yeah, I'm going to wait well, until it's, it's all the Halo the drops and then that, watch it. It's more the fact that, and, 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 and this actually happened to me this weekend, is I got some severe anxiety going on over the fact that oh, we have we have a couple of shows that we watch pretty religiously. 
Uh, we do the new Star Trek. So up until last weekend, I think it was Star Trek Discovery. And now mm-hmm. that's on break. It's it's season done. Uh, and then Picard, season two. Yeah. And now we're watching Halo. And now we're watching... Uh, we were watching Bel Air, the, the Fresh Prince of, of Bel Air reboot. Which is also more foreshadowing. Right. Uh, but there's a certain level of anxiety that I have about that because I want to watch these things before the internet spoils them for me. Yeah. Because I don't want to have... I understand that. I don't want to be sitting there scrolling on my news, doom scrolling like you do on your news feed and then just, mm-hmm. uh, oh, so-and-so was great in the season finale. It's like, well, now I know, you know, and, and that's yeah. kind of what started trying to happen. And so, you know, Thursday was when all those shows dropped and they sent me on a nine hour drive Thursday uh, during the night. Mm. So I wasn't able to be there at night to watch these. And then uh, Friday, it's like, all right. They can't screw me twice in a row, you know. So Friday, we'll sit down Friday night and watch it. And then they sent me on the exact same nine-hour drive uh, all the way to the eastern side of the state on Friday. So I didn't get home till 3 o'clock in the morning that day as well. So it's like uh, it had to wait until Saturday. And then by the time Saturday rolled around, and this is all very uh, first-world problem bullshit. I understand that. Well, sure. Let me, let me, let me preface all of this with that, but... Come uh, Saturday, we had a bunch of errands to run and, and shit to do around the house. And by the time we got around to sitting down, it was already like 7 o'clock at night, 7.30 at night. And I was already starting yeah. to panic because it's like, this is the only thing I wanted to do. And and now it's not getting done. And I've got practice and podcasting on, the week, on Sunday, so it's not going to leave us a whole lot of time to do yeah. any catch-up then. And... I just started seriously, you know, panic attacking. My spoons were running out, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, took care of that. I managed to handle it. But for me, I don't know why it ends up being that anxiety level increasing thing. It's just a matter of, you know, I hate being spoiled on something. Like if I spoil myself by searching out content, so be it. You deserve it. But yeah, people don't have a healthy respect for spoiler moratoriums on like social messaging and social media so it's like you can be scrolling and the movie just came out yesterday and they could be like oh well the uh, shocking surprise at the end credits of this movie and it's like god damn it you know and i actually there's there's no place to hide like i anytime there's like a major like it's a marvel movie or a star wars movie um, I was deliberately trying to, and this was, uh, I, I want to say it was during the last round. Of, I don't remember, again, it all, you watch enough of these things, they kind of blur together. Um, but the last round of, the, the, the last Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was deliberately staying off Twitter. I was staying off of Facebook because, again, people just delight in spoiling shit. And I, of all places, Imager, which is kind of the background image hosting site for Reddit. And it's just a nice dump. You can go there and look at memes. You can look at funny photographs. So it's just, a, I was scrolling through there completely um, just minding my own business. And somebody had gone to the, I had tickets for the next day's showing. It was like a Monday, or it was a Sunday afternoon matinee, and the movie came come out on Friday. And so I was, all weekend long, I was trying to stay off the internet. And right. I'm scrolling through pictures, and you're able to leave user comments on the pictures. You know, funny little comments. Like, the internet is full of comments. It's user-generated content. It's free. So a lot of places do that. So I'm scrolling through pictures, and on a picture of, like, I don't know, some 
a gif of like some you know kitten knocking a, a a big dog out of its its bed like oh we know who the boss is in this house somebody had gone to the trouble of creating an account to leave comments in every photo on imager with the account name um han solo's son kylo ren kills him at the end of the movie <laughs> and i was like you I'm, son I'm of laughing. a bitch I'm laughing. Ha, no, ha, so Han Solo's horrible. Han Solo's son, uh, Ky, Ky, Han Solo killed by son Kylo Ren was the name of the uh, the, the account this person created just to fuck with people on the internet. And I was like, "You son of a bitch!" So yeah, you can't you can't trust anybody. You got to hide from everyone, and you can't go anywhere online if you don't want shit spoiled for you. That said, like I'm, I still have to catch up on a lot of stuff, and all the things that I say I'm going to catch up on. I wind up getting sucked into an Ink Master hole and doing that for a week, but. <laughs> Uh, Moon Knight is another, uh, in addition to Halo, another big that was another one of the this ones week. we wanted to watch. Yeah, yeah, and that's an episode or two in now, but that's going to be a six episode run, so that's Still not too long to wait. Only one episode it? in. They're only one episode okay. deep so far, so yeah. So, but there's going to be six, and I'm just waiting for all six to, to drop before I check it out because I know I'm going to have six hours on a day that I need to kill, and I'm just going to go through and watch the entire thing. But the early reports are pretty positive. It was pretty which, good so um, far. In terms of the uh, the big Marvel projects that are dropping this week, uh, Moon Knight is definitely coming out way ahead of Morbius, which is just getting killed on Rotten Tomatoes and user scores. I am... I don't... I'm just kidding. It's Dr. Michael Morbius at your service. But they're saying that, you know, ignore the user scores because I guess the, the viewer ratings are higher than the user score, like the Rotten Tomatoes rating. So it's like, huh. kind of believe the hype at your own risk. I mean, I'll end up seeing it. I don't know if I'm going to rush yeah. out to the theaters to see it, but I might wait for for Disney Plus or whatever. The most devastating headline I on. saw was that um, Morbius finally puts the nail in the coffin and proves that Sony needs to give Marvel its toys back because it's just shit in the bed <laughs> every time it tries to do something on its own. Sony will never give Marvel its toys back if they know what's fucking good for them. Yeah, that is I mean, them, you know, they're making money. turning over a cash cow. They would be. They're making... I mean, share Spider-Man, sure, we all love that, but... Yeah, they, they need to uh, kind of get their shit together and at least bring Marvel in on some of these things so that they're not mm-hmm. fucking them up shit. as bad as apparently they fucked up Morbius. I keep seeing... Which, again, the, I haven't seen it yet, but, you know. I keep seeing the meme of, the you know, the hands clasping meme. And one yeah. side of it says uh, Jared Leto is in the worst... or worst DC Comics character. And then the other hand is Jared Leto is the worst Marvel Comics character. It's just, ugh. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, Jared, Little, Jared Little can't catch a break, and he's is by no. all accounts a great actor. Yeah, I mean, he he won an Oscar, but, you know, for know. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club, which again, that's also controversial now because he's a, uh, a a cis actor who played a trans character, and that's also problematic. But you know, anybody who saw that, I mean, he did a great job, whether or not it was appropriate casting. So it's tough to take anything away from the performance of it, whether or not it was something he should have done in retrospect. But again, that's a subject for another day. Well, now we have a, a topic we're going to get to, but again, we like to kind of break it up now. I've been really enjoying how we kind of delve into two different topics, one a bit more serious, maybe one another uh, not so serious, but it, it seems to work and, and kind of let us know what you think if you don't think it's working or not. But uh, the first half, and, and I think that... Lord knows, let me preface this by saying it's been talked about to death. It's going to mm-hmm. continue to get talked about to death. But if we yep. don't address at least our little segment of this uh, in the vein of positive mental health uh, reinforcement, then it will feel like we're not paying attention. And of course, what I'm referring to 
the slap heard round the world. Will Smith <sighs> slapping Chris Rock at the uh, Academy Awards. Hey, yo. Yeah, and as much as you're correct that the world does not need another hot take on the Oscar slap, especially not from a couple of white dudes, uh, if we, you're right. If we don't, it's, it's a more glaring uh, omission that if we don't talk about it. Right. And, and so, yes, uh, we have seen it. Uh, we've seen every angle of it. We've heard every comment on it. I mean, it's hard to be a denizen of the Internet and not have been immediately pummeled to death by memes of Chris Rock and, and Will Smith. And in fact, I made my own meme the same night. Yeah. And so I'm just as guilty of it as the rest of you guys. And and that was a week later. Out. And here we are still talking about it. By the time you hear this, it'll be two weeks later. and I'm sure it'll still be something that's getting kicked around. Right, because, I mean, and this is something that I wanted to address about it, is the long-term ramifications of something like this. Now, uh, whether or not uh, Will Smith was in the right or the wrong, whether or not Chris Rock was in the right or the wrong, I kind of see both sides of each argument. Chris Rock is an edgy comedian. Yeah. It's his job to take shots at people. It's his job to make shit funny. Same thing with Ricky Gervais, same thing with every other host of the Academy Awards. Their job is to poke fun at people like a light roasting. Yeah. You know, like a light roast coffee. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? And America in general kind of loves to see some of the rich, powerful, beautiful people, the, the American royalty of celebrity, get the air let out of their tires a little bit. That's why, like you said, Ricky Gervais has been very successful in his hosting shit at the Golden Globes. He gets up there and he mm-hmm. just gives no fucks and everybody in the room is a viable target, especially if they've had a scandal that year. He just gets right. up there and pokes the wounds and, and that's kind of the way he's been doing it. And, and the fact of the matter is, is I can see Chris Rock taking shots at people. Yes, he has made a couple of shots at Jada's expense, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, over the years. And a lot of people are quick to point out that he seemed to be targeting her. But that's not necessarily true. She was just sitting up front, so she became kind of a... It's kind of like when you sit up front at a comedy show, you just kind of become a target. Especially if, you know, there's something noticeable. And in this particular case, it was her shaved head that, that got the comment going. Now, the yeah. problem that arose because of the shaved head, her shaved head was a result of her alopecia. Which and is a horrifying you know, autoimmune disorder that causes people to lose chunks of their hair. Right. I know, I personally know and care about people who have alopecia, and it's a devastating thing. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, in the grand scheme of things, there are things that are worse. But it, it can really ding your self-image. It can really ding your self-esteem. It can have a huge impact on your mental health. And whether or not there's a certain amount of consternation and whether, whether or not Chris Rock knew about it, um, it still is something that Jada Pinkett Smith has been very upfront, public, and, and honest about in terms of how it affects her self-esteem, self-image, right. and mental health. Right. And so the idea that uh, he would talk about, you know, the G.I. Jane haircut, whatever. Okay, I get it. It was just a, it was a light dig. And, okay. So now we're going to set Chris Rock aside and we're going to go to the Will Smith angle of it. I understand Chris Rock's angle. Got to make fun. Got to keep it light. Pepper in the jokes, you know. I'm on stage. I'm a comedian. I'm doing my job. Right. Will Smith sitting there in the audience laughing along with everyone else up to that point. And if you look at the footage, you can even see him kind of still laughing a little bit after the joke is made. And I maintain that he was just kind of still on the last one. Because you don't yeah. just stop. 
You don't just stop yeah. laughing immediately. So he said he says the joke, he says the line, the G.I. Jane line, and he turns and looks at Jada, and you can see Jada is pissed. She's uncomfortable. She's rolling her eyes. Mm-hmm. She's not happy. And that's when we see Will Smith stand up out of his chair and stalk to the stage and, and wallop the shit out of Chris Rock. He and, really did. I mean, and it wasn't like, it wasn't a punch. It was... I an open-handed slap. It was an open-handed slap to kind of, and this is, this is not me condoning it. This is just me kind of trying to get myself in the same headspace, in an attempt to put him in his place. And that's kind of how I looked at it. Was Will Smith wasn't going for a knockout punch. He was just going to put Chris back in his place, and exert his protection of Jada, which may or may not have been warranted. May or may not have been needed. Certainly, Jada Pinkett has proven that she is a force to be reckoned with her entire career. She's a strong enough woman that she could have handled that shit. And whether or not Will Smith had a knee jerk reaction to protect his wife uh, was a positive thing, a negative thing, one way or another. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth! It still has consequences. And now here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you found stars coming out in support of Will Smith. You have stars coming out in support of Chris Rock. Uh, I, like I said, I see both sides of the argument. The knee-jerk part of me says, hell yeah, protect your woman. You know, even if she's strong enough to protect herself, stand up for what you believe, stand up for your woman, you know. Whether that's okay or not, you know. But also, I see the other side. Because if you look at what the, the fallout of this situation is going to be... We've already seen, you know, the apology circuit from both sides, both camps have made their apologies. We've seen every armchair quarterback coming in and saying, well, he deserved it. He didn't deserve it. Blah, 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 blah. Here's why he did what he did. And, you know, nobody knows why he did what he did except him. Uh, We've seen the fallout immediately for uh, Will Smith. He's now quit the Academy of of Arts. Mm -hmm. He's, He's quit himself out even though they've they've said that they may still sanction him for what he did too they may kick him out which means he can't come back but he's resigned from the academy right and the long term okay so the long term detrimental effects on both of these guys is this Will Smith has built himself up over the course of uh, 40 years entire career to be the nice guy rapper you know He's only really, really slipped off brand once, and that was a long ass time ago. He did a song called "You Saw My Blinker," and I don't know if anyone out there is familiar with that song. She smacked my hand when I put it on her dress and hit me again, and I'll break your wrist. Both pulled off on the side of the road. I was hot, ready to explode. The only thing stopping me from breaking her nose is I was 21 and she was 90 years old. It's your fault. You caused all this. You saw my blinker, bitch. And and so that you can hear him visibly come unglued at this old woman that he got into an altercation with, uh, traffic-wise. And and that was really the only time you see Will Smith come off brand because his brand is really jokey, and jovial, and happy, affable, and you know he's lovable. He's, he's, uh, which again kind of ties into it too. I mean that's that's also sort of a very. <sighs> Because I don't want to get off track here. God knows we don't ever do tangents on this show, but <laughs> never. But um, 
but yeah, you're right. That was really the only time that up until... Because he really has been... He came out at a time when gangster rap was kind of a thing. NWA was happening. Ice-T right. was happening. And Will Smith kind of positioned himself as the more family-friendly alternative to that. Um, he was the Fresh Prince. His stuff was parents just don't understand. It wasn't F the Police. It was is a different kind of a, a brand of, of hip-hop that was a lot more palatable. But that's kind of where the problem started for Will Smith. Because I have seen accusations of minstrelry and Uncle Tom levied against him by the black community for a very long time because they're like you're watering yourself down to be palatable to a wider audience and basically that just means placating white people with a safe black man and that kind of came into play too which was ugly as shit on all sides of it because there are so many layers to this slap thing there's will smith's image like you just said there's the um this was the first academy awards that that was produced by a black producer will packer who is a uh, a film guru and has, has done a lot of work in Hollywood um, behind the camera. He was producing this. And there was just a lot of of great stuff that happened there, whether it was Liza Minnelli and Lady Gaga, whether it was so many... Um, Ariana DeBose was the first queer Latina black uh, woman to, to win an award. Um, you know, Jane Campion is only the third woman to ever win Best Director for Power of the Dog. There was a lot of great shit that happened that was overshadowed by this moment of ugliness, but because so many things tie into it, the bullying thing, the uh, ableism thing, because you're mocking somebody with a disease, the, oh, you just kind of delved into really ugly stereotypes of people of color and, and gave the world an angry black man thing. There's mm-hmm. the... You know, uh, the, the violence thing, there's, there's the, the, the publicity, because, I mean, you're right, it is, the, it is the job of a comedian, whether it's Chris Rock or Ricky Gervais or anybody at any of the Comedy Central roasts, to kind of take the piss out of the famous people, and that's kind of what they do. There is a precedent set for that in the American entertainment sphere of famous people making fun of each other. It's a pretty well-worn trope at this point, it's, we, we see it a lot. There is not, however, a, a template in the culture set for somebody just pounding the shit out of somebody else in public. We've heard a lot of stories about celebrities. People love celebrity gossip, bad behavior, whether it's Christian Bale cussing out the light guy on the set of that movie for standing in shadows, oh, good for you, and all that, or whether it's you know rumors about people who've been, uh, shall we say, less than discreet with sort of like you know sexual stuff, like Kevin Spacey or whatever, uh, that's very inappropriate and potentially legal. We hear behind-the-scenes rumors about celebrities all the time. And so-and-so was bad on this set, somebody else punched a paparazzi, whatever. But this takes things to another level because we saw a household name, world-famous media person, actor, comedian, uh, musician, haul off and pound the shit out of another household name, famous actor, comedian, and you just, you, you rarely see these sort of conflicts play out. Usually it's behind the scenes sniping or somebody writes a tell-all like we saw with Joss Whedon where people were saying he was always kind of a misogynist on sets. And then you get publicists revving up in overdrive trying to deflect accusations and all that shit kind of rises to a certain level of, of visibility. But never before in the culture have we seen two household name celebrities in front of a live TV audience that was broadcast around the world in one of the biggest television events of the year just hauling off and... and cracking somebody else across the jaw. Closest thing I can think of is the time when Hulk Hogan punched Richard Belzer, but that was like in the <laughs> 80s, and that was something that people thought was fake at the time because of the whole kayfabe thing with wrestling and the fact that things get worked sometimes and the parlance and all this other shit. But like, it was so shocking because we're used to celebrity beefs, but we're not used to seeing somebody just haul off and assault somebody right. for something they did you know, in front of them. And there's the, the, the layers of, of race, of, of violence, of bullying, of toxic masculinity, of misogyny, of ableism. It's just a giant knot of all of these hot-button issues that 
it's just there's no clear-cut answer on any of it. So to take a side, I mean, it's a difficult thing to do. Because, yeah, there is a template set for comedians taking the piss out of each other in public, but not so much for them pounding the piss out of each other in public. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the, was the bullying right? Did he know about the alopecia? Did he know that she was sensitive about it? And, of course, Chris Rock famously made a documentary about black women's hair that he should have known better. But then the disproportionate response to that and... You know, I've seen a lot of women on all sides of, of, of the issue saying, hey, you know, if, if that was my partner, spouse, husband, boyfriend, whatever, and they just hauled off and pounded somebody, that kind of ties into, like, oh, every guy has this fantasy of, like, oh, somebody disrespected my partner in public, so I'm going to pound the shit out of him and teach him a lesson and stand up for my woman and all that. But most of the women that I saw, depending on, regardless of, of where they kind of landed, whether they were white, black um or some other uh variety of 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 a person of color most of them said the biggest overriding issue for me is this toxic masculinity if my partner punched the fuck out of somebody because they were bad-mouthing me or whatever um i don't need somebody to come to my defense that way i'm I'm perfectly capable of defending myself i would have taken them aside and let them know it was inappropriate i would have put on my 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 big girl panties and used my fucking words and treated that shit like i was an adult and not just punch somebody but I've also seen a lot of guys like, oh, dare, I, I dare somebody to badmouth my wife in public. I'll do the same fucking thing. So it's just, it's an incredibly tangled Gordian knot of social issues, of all these different mental health, all of this this different stuff that mm-hmm. just makes no clear-cut winners. Not that you could ever have a winner in a situation where there's bullying and sexism and ableism and, and, and race issues and, and violence and all this other shit. Um so it's kind of a fool's errand to decide who comes out smelling like a rose on this one. There's there's a clear assailant and a clear victim, but then Jade is also a victim, and Chris Rock could be seen as a bully. It's just it's all of this shit. So it just the whole thing stinks, and the whole thing is unfortunate, and the whole thing is ugly, and it's just really sad that it had to happen. And um, there's just there's there's no way to come out of this on on any side of it having a clear-cut opinion that makes any sense because it's just so nonsensical. It really is trying to make sense of something that kind of defies explanation, reason, and, and can't really be pinned down. It's, it's, it's just terrible. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's just like you said, there's no clear winner because there's no winner in this situation. As we talked about, there's already we're already seeing all the fallout for Will Smith resigning from the academy. Yeah, and in addition to having to quit the academy, uh, I read read that just today that Netflix is pumping the brakes on a proposed project called Fast and Loose that apparently was in development at Netflix that was either produced by, directed by, starred Will Smith. They said he was involved somehow. They didn't really know the exact uh, involvement of him, but I think it was something he was heavily involved with, either in front of or behind the camera, and Netflix is kind of like, well, you know, we're putting that on the back burner for a minute and kind of seeing what happens. So, yeah, the the professional fallout for Will Smith on this has been pretty harsh. Yeah. But then again, we got to look at the other side of this too. Now we've got the fallout on Chris Rock's side because now what's Chris Rock left with? He is, he's had to apologize. Yep. Whether he felt he had to or it was genuine. Regardless, it seemed like a very heartfelt and genuine apology. But yeah, now we're left with picking up the pieces because when mm-hmm. something happens to a comedian, it's their job to make it funny. Yeah. Uh, look at, uh, notoriously, I've, I was listening to some of the stuff. I listen to stand-up comedy um, on Spotify all the time. I love stand-up. Driving. And I got a whole long episode we're going to do about uh, certain things with stand-up comedy, but that's not the place for it. But uh, I was listening to, and, and Louis C.K. popped on. And we've notoriously talked about uh, Louis C.K. and the issues that he had 
Yep. Him jerking off in front of people who maybe necessarily didn't want to see him jerking off. Mm-hmm. Um, Non-consensual uh, sexual stuff. Problematic to say the least. And so I heard some of the yep. stand-up that he did afterwards, and it doesn't seem like he's particularly apologetic about it. And yes, no. he's still funny. He is a good comedian. He has found a way to try to make that funny. Try being the operative term. But now Chris Rock is in the unenviable position of having to spin this in a way that doesn't... Because a lot of people are going around the internet, on the internet saying he just took it. Oh, Chris Rock's a bitch because he just got hit and he didn't do anything about it. He just stood there and took it. And that's not necessarily the case. No, uh, I I want to say that you know as tough as as everybody talks, you're you don't really know what's going to happen to you. You're the one getting hit in the mouth, you right. know. You could you could talk a big game all you want, say, man, I dare somebody to hit me. I'd come up and whack him back, and you never know how that. you're going to react in that situation. It was a shocking situation in front mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah. yeah, if if he'd have fought back, that would have been ten times more ugly. Yes. And so he's got to find a way now to spin this, to turn this into something that he can address in a way Uh that he can do it. And I don't envy him that position because, you know, there's a lot of people, um, unfortunately, two different sides of this matter. And it's going to be interesting to see how he addresses it. Uh, So far, I, I would like to say that he's addressed it with a fair amount of diplomatic aplomb. He's not, uh, He's not come out and like. In fact, he went to. He had a show where he was talking about in Boston. Everyone was, right, and and everyone started a fuck Will Smith chant, and he shut that shit down. Yeah, that was the he, second night of his Boston stint, and the first night, um, and I'm going to pull this article up because I want to get this right. Uh, he got a, okay. a, a giant standing ovation from everybody at the Boston audience. He, he had a previously scheduled stand-up show that had sold out, and he came out and did his show. And um, I'm reading from CNN right now. This is a CNN article. Chris Rock made an emotional return to the stage on Wednesday night for the first time since Will Smith slapped him at the Academy Awards. Rock made his first public comments about the incident. In his first of two shows, he was greeted by the audience at Boston's Wilbur Theater with two back-to-back standing ovations lasting several minutes. Let me be on Misty and shit, Rock said with tears in his eyes, gesturing to the crowd's warm response. How was your weekend equipped? To which the audience responded with laughter. And what he said about it was, I don't have a bunch of shit about what happened, so if you came to hear that, I had like a whole show I wrote about this before this, excuse me, I had a, like a whole show I wrote before this weekend, and I'm still kind of processing what happened. So at some point, I'll talk about that shit, and it'll be serious, and it'll be funny, but right now, I'm going to tell some jokes. And then he went into his the set that he'd written. So that was really the first thing he said about it, but then, yeah, the second night, people were chanting, fuck Will Smith, and he shut him down, which I think is a pretty classy move, because... I mean, he seemed pretty contrite about it. He seemed like, you know what, I shouldn't have gone after Jada. It was a bullying move. I don't think I deserve to get smacked. And, well, well, that's a conversation we need to have. But at the same time, um, don't bag on Will Smith. Just don't don't beat him up about this. It's not something that needs to happen. It's not something we need to continue. Right. Meanwhile, the reports about, yeah, well, once Will Smith's publicist got a hold of him after Oscar night, then there was that very sort of stilted apology on Instagram where he said, you know, this isn't the person I am, and I'm sorry, I want to apologize to the Academy, to Chris, to Jada, to all everybody involved with it. But he didn't apologize to Chris in his Oscar acceptance speech after he was still continued to, uh, allowed to go on and win an award. 
after he kicked the shit out of somebody, then went back to his seat and watched the rest of the show, which would never happen to anybody else. But then he won the award and, and, and said, you know, I want to be a vessel for love, and love makes you do crazy things. And then he went to the Oscars after party and danced the night away. And then the next day, that was when his publicist said, hey, you know what? You got to deal with this. And that's when the apology came out. So, you know, at the risk of bagging on Will Smith, of being the, the umpteenth person that says he was in the wrong on this, it didn't seem like he was necessarily behaving in a way that expressed contrition as much as Chris Rock has in the aftermath of this, where he comes out and says, you know what, it's a thing that happened, I'm processing it, but please don't say fuck Will Smith because it's just not appropriate. Right. So I don't want to say in the wake of it, one of them is being the bigger human about it, but... You know, it's just thorny. It's thorny and it's sticky and it's ugly. And again, it's just one of those things that I probably shouldn't even be talking about as a white person because I'm really trying to listen to people more than I'm talking about it. But I'm just kind of reflecting some of the things that I've heard in, right. due, in the due course of sort of listening to, to, to friends of mine who do have kind of like uh, these issues do impact them a lot more readily and a lot more, uh, just a lot harder. And I have listened to them, and this is kind of a distillation of some of the things they've said. I don't speak for them. I don't assume that, you know, anybody that I know who's a person of color is going to be a token that speaks for their entire community. All of that shit's super ugly, but I'm just, I've been gathering opinions and listening to voices on this. And it's just so complicated. Right. And so that's kind of what we wanted to address, is, is the fact that, yes, we're aware of it. We kind of want to frame it in, in, in how we do things around here lately, is we kind of want to frame it and couch this in, in a discussion of positive mental health. And moving forward from this, you know, what can we gain from this that helps impact our lives? And, and mm -hmm. the thing that I gain out of it is, is just an understanding of how deeply rooted this toxic masculinity truly is. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm no affable comedian like like Will Smith. I, I definitely have had my darker times. Uh, I have never really hit, but I've been a yeller and all that. But I, I, I'm able to see that toxic masculinity just bubbly beneath the surface. And yeah. it's something that I feel like we need to learn from this. That way mm -hmm. it doesn't happen again. And so I'm hoping that uh, Chris Rock has learned something from this. I'm hoping Will Smith has learned something from this. I'm hoping everyone who's experiencing this whole thing unfold is able to pull something positive from it. And not just focus on that, oh man, I'd smack the shit out of him too, you know. Get past that part of you, that that knee-jerk reaction part, and, and kind of examine how you should act versus how you feel you would act. I don't know. Yeah, because violence is not the answer, and bullying is not the answer either. Both of them were wrong, and it just becomes like a race to the bottom to argue about who was more wrong. But as long as anybody takes a lesson from their mistake and learns from it and, and, and tries to adapt and modify their behavior going forward so they don't repeat the mistake, I mean, you and I have, we've, we've touched on this before. Um, because in the due course of trying to be vulnerable, of, of trying to be human about a lot of things, the culture in general has sort of become, in the last 20 or 30 years, a lot better about destigmatizing mental illness. I've dealt with shit, you've dealt with shit. Uh, and we've talked about that pretty candidly here on this mm -hmm. show and to each other and to our friends because it's it just there's just not the if somebody breaks their arm they go to the hospital they get an x-ray they get a cast the bone heals they move on they might have some lingering discomfort from it or maybe some mobility issues but for the most part you can function if you have uh, an infection you go to the, the the doctor you get prescribed antibiotics you go home you take your antibiotics and hopefully it clears up and you move on with your life mental right. illness is just such a moving target it's so hard to pin down because we're able to do things like group certain kinds of behavior into certain buckets whether it's 
you know, obvious, well, not again, not obvious things, but whether it's documented things like we have, you know, uh, psychosis or schizophrenia or bipolar personality disorder or or borderline personality disorder or, or, or psychopathy or all these different things, they're not easily diagnosed, but we at least have some kind of understanding of these things. But then that's just a door that we've opened that, that leads to a bunch of other doors that are locked because you can't just say, oh, you have condition X, so that means we prescribe treatment Y. Because the difficulty about mental illness is, first, it's hard to spot. Um, and also, once you figure out what it is, no two people have that particular mental illness the same way. Right. Whether it's, it's based on target. trauma or... Yeah. So it's, it's impossible to sort of pin down how to best treat these things. There are certain things that they can start with broader therapies and kind of winnow things down and try to get to the root of things and, and work with medications and get dosages right and try different therapies. But... Mental illness in the first place is a really hard thing to see because you can't see it. It's very ephemeral. It's not an injury. It's not an illness. It doesn't present in a way that you can look at it and go, oh, fuck, yeah, that's a broken finger. Oh, hell, yeah, that's gangrene. We can, we know what to do about that. We can throw pills at it. We can wrap it up. It's not something that's easily fixed. And yeah. in many cases, a lot of these things can't be fixed. They just have to be treated. They have to be managed. And it's just a difficult thing to do. And, again, like, I deal with things. You deal with things. But part of the issue of dispelling some of this shame over those things because it really is people can say oh you're faking it it's all in your head yeah it's I, it is all in my head that's why it's called a mental illness but <laughs> the first step in sort of getting around the shame and the pain of this stuff is just destigmatizing it removing Absolutely. any any sort of of of, uh, of discomfort around talking about it being candid and upfront about the struggles that we all have um because honestly, this is a quote that I, I, I'm paraphrasing, and I don't remember who said this originally, but I read it not long ago and it stuck with me. And it was, we've never met a sane adult. We haven't. Oh, Nobody no. gets to adulthood unscathed. And everybody has trauma, whether it's from abuse or neglect or, or uh, acute trauma that happens because of an, uh, of an injury, uh, whether it's to your body or to your, your mind or your heart, whatever it is. Nobody has such an idyllic, happy-go-lucky, skip-through-the-daisies, life that they make it to adulthood unscarred and in one piece nobody has that and that's nope. kind of the underlying motivation behind the pop psychology hey just be kind to everybody you don't know what their battles are you don't know what they're going through um and it's good advice it really is i mean we try to do that because we have struggles and we have things that we have to suck up and deal with on a daily basis um and anybody that's listening to this if you're old enough to work a phone and download a podcast chances are you fucking do too so we try to just be mindful of that. We try to just be sympathetic to it. And sometimes it's difficult. But just understanding that nobody gets to a place of being a functioning grown-up without having some things they have to deal with. Absolutely. And so that's kind of what we wanted to say on the matter. And, and of course, we know there's opinions in all different sizes and colors and shapes and so, and, and be that as it may. But that's kind of our official thing. We're, we're done with it. We wanted to make sure we addressed it because, I mean, it's the 800-pound elephant sitting in your refrigerator, dipping its toes in your cheesecake, so. It's important. It is important. It is something that definitely needs to be addressed and, and, and understood. So, uh, like I said, I just hope they both are able to pull something from it, some growth from learning, and and, and just move forward with it. Not necessarily what we wanted to focus the entire conversation about. And it's, it's, it's interesting that the last couple episodes we've dedicated this first chunk of this segment of the conversation to talking about uh, mental health and mental health awareness. I mean, the last time we talked about 
Kanye West situation, which is just mm-hmm. bafflingly confusing with that guy. Uh, and, and the only thing I'm going to add to that is Jesus Christ, Amanda Bynes's conservative ship got pulled. Yeah. Britney Spears's conservative ship got pulled. Why isn't anyone putting a freaking conservative ship on Kanye? He needs supervision. He needs, he needs to help. be protected from himself. He needs to, for the good of his kids. His um, kids. Pete Davidson yeah. hasn't been on SNL for a couple of weeks. He did do a pre-taped sketch in last night's episode, but uh, the excuse is he's working on a movie. But you know, I, I don't know if I'd want to necessarily put my face out in public in a building everybody can get to. If I was Pete Davidson, either. Right. So uh, it's interesting that we've we've couched it in uh, mental health like that. I don't mind. Like I said, uh, destigmatizing is is a huge part of, of accepting. Uh, the new normal that everybody is uh, by and large affected and so mm-hmm. it's 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 part of the conversation and of course if you guys have anything you want to share about that uh, feel free we're always willing to listen uh, we, we particularly enjoy being able to be uh, listeners in that regard uh, I am not a mental health professional by any stretch of the imagination however I am a good listener so yep what I wanted to talk about today, now this is directly affecting me, and this is kind of neat, because I just in the mail this week received uh, something from Kickstarter that I have been waiting two years to receive. Now, I've talked about this a little bit, and Jim, I know we've talked about it. We've had yeah. uh, Shiloh Prychek from New Wave Toys on the podcast numerous times, super guy. The company, New Wave Toys, is a fantastic company. Uh, the product they put out We're big out fans is, of it around here. Oh, my God, yes. And the product they put out is superb quality-wise. And so I knew it would eventually arrive. He showed off on that first, uh, I think it was November of 19. or No, it was November of 20. When we did our first interview with him. Mm-hmm. And he showed off the early, early prototype for this. And it was really neat. Uh, it's the uh, replica uh, M90 uh, boombox. The M90 mini and the micro that he they put up on Kickstarter two years ago. And they've had troubles uh, getting them produced. Uh, whether it was uh, the COVID taking a huge hit. Because these are produced in China. And so a large... Uh, part of the wait time on that was the aftermath of, of COVID in China and then the capacitor shortages and having to curtail uh, shipping and shipping concerns to get them over here. And I mean, it's been a, it's been a laundry list of, of supply chain issues, right? That have just kept this from happening. But uh, I finally received them this week. And let me tell you, holy balls, these things are cool. I've showed Jim a little bit, but what it is 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 there's a it's like a nine inch by uh, six inch seven inch uh, uh, replica of uh, a, an old style ghetto blaster a boombox the mm-hmm. tape deck. But I know I can't live without my radio. And the detail on this thing is is, is astounding. It's got the twisty dial for the radio. It's got the rabbit ear antennas. Uh, it's, it's even come with a little Memorex tape that you could pop in the tape deck. It doesn't work, but uh, it doesn't work off of tapes, but it's just a neat little bonus. And and then the micro is, of course, uh, a little like uh, three and a half, four inch by two inch version of the same thing. 
And it works too. And they both work fucking gangbusters. They're amazing. The sound quality is incredible. And the thing that I wanted to talk about today is directly related to that, is the highs and lows of using Kickstarter as uh, a media for uh, geek-related shit and, and just tech-related stuff. And Because Kickstarter's been kind of a... It's been a presence for a, a lot of years. I'm not entirely sure when Kickstarter got started, but they've been around for quite a while. And it's, it's a good way to get something moving that maybe you can't get funded on your own or yeah on paper crowdfunding is a pretty good idea right and we've had a lot of really good positive success stories out of this and some of the ones that spring to mind immediately are uh, uh reading rainbow uh mm-hmm. raised over a million dollars to bring reading rainbow back the and veronica mars movie veronica mars uh, i believe i wish i had all the numbers in front of me i don't but uh veronica mars raised enough money to crowdfund an entire movie I mean, and then you come up with things like uh, the the failures of this same situation. You got things like uh, the Ouya, which is a video yeah. game hand console that... Ostensibly uh, a video game console. I mean, it's a thing. It's a physical thing. But I think it kind of fizzled out like a wet fart. Kind of yeah. like uh, Stadia, Google Stadia did. Or on live oh, okay. before it. And very similar concept-wise to... Streaming gaming can work, but you sort of need to have a decent brand and decent architecture infrastructure behind it. Like, even just now, this year, Xbox is starting to, uh, with the Xbox uh, Game Pass Ultimate, you, you can stream games without having to download them to your console, and it's, it's working pretty well. But I remember the last year that I went to E3 was 2013, and that was almost 10 years ago now. And they had an on-live booth that was there. Uh, to kind of get after this same sort of like streaming idea. You don't have to buy games. You can just pay a subscription service like the streaming, and then you have access to a game library that you can stream to uh, a box. And uh, But just the technology wasn't there yet, and it kind of failed. And uh, it's only just now, 10 years later, that we're really seeing companies that have a lot more money and a lot more established market presence that are able to sort of bring this technology to people. And, and it's it's still in its infancy. So 10 years ago is just not the time to do it. But, yeah. Yeah, and then there's a lot of, I mean, you could, there's highs and lows. Of course, the, the risk of failure is strong in these things because you can back something and it just poofs away to vapor and your money's gone. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Um, yeah. there's, a, there's an inherent risk in doing it this way. And in fact, the way I discovered Kickstarter, I've only Kickstarted three things and each of the three things has been successful. The first of which was uh, the Oatmeal had a game called Exploding Kittens, which I don't know if any of you out there have played it. You can buy it at your local Target now. It's mm-hmm. it's a fun game. It's a real fun game. But uh, uh, the Oatmeal was uh, a comic, an online comic, and not necessarily in that space. So they didn't have the ability to procure funding in a traditional sense. So they went to the crowdfunding and... They blew their goal out of the water, and and just like everyone else, I received my game uh, before everyone else, and it was fantastic. I love it, and a a rampant success. The second one, of course, being uh, my first foray into New Wave Toys, which was their uh, uh, Dragon's Lair cabinet, was a successful fundraiser on Kickstarter. And I jumped into that in the first, like, ten minutes that it existed, because I'd heard of their, their quality, and... I'd already signed up for a mailing list to be alerted whenever that happened, and 
And yeah, I'm a huge backer of New Wave Toys. It's no surprise. It's no secret. Uh, and they make so good when products. They, when they came out with this new Kickstarter uh, for the uh, radios, the the boom boxes, I was. It's not necessarily something I collect. I don't collect boom boxes. I collect arcade cabinets. That's different. But I was in love with New Wave Toys and their business model and their design and their aesthetic. So I, of course, backed it. And, and these things, rightfully so, are gorgeous. But uh, after uh, a while, like we even talked, we even talked to Shiloh when we were talking about. Uh, the Kickstarter, how they're not really going to go that way anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. They've kind of shied away from Kickstarter as a platform because, I mean, Kickstarter does take, you know, a percentage, just like anything, to facilitate. Uh, that's why a lot of people use things like GoFundMe, but even GoFundMe takes a chunk too. Yeah. Um, but they decided to do all of their pre-orders and everything in-house because they figure they can keep a handle on 100% of the proceeds that way. And so all of the last three or four or five different cabinet releases have been uh, through their own website pre-orders versus going Kickstarter. Because now they know they have a proven quantity. They know they could probably get the money for it. And it's a safer bet that they can handle on to most of their money that way. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about Kickstarter as, as kind of a company uh, designed towards helping just specifically like geek culture and comics and uh, video games and things like that? I mean, it seems like a viable resource, but the risk, I don't know, is the the risk-reward uh, worth it? I mean, what, what do you think? It, it is a gamble. It's like anything else. You know, I really do still believe what I just said, that I think crowdfunding on paper is a really good idea. But there are just so many X factors you can't account for. And in sort of like reading up on different Kickstarter fails, um, they seem to fall into a couple of different buckets. Some of them are willful fraud. Um, Some of them are just (laughs) straight up manufacturing issues where somebody bit off more than they could chew from a standpoint of, we have this great idea, we prototyped it, it works, um, that we partnered with a manufacturing partner that simply can't deliver the stuff we need to make this happen so it all falls apart. Um, Some of it's just incompetence and mismanagement. Um, but just, you know, a couple of examples of each of those things. Um, one of the things that I saw come up time after time after time was the Xano drone. Um, this is one mm. of those things that gets mentioned a lot when they talk about Kickstarter fails. I saw um, a picture of that. Yeah, this, this company was going to make this tiny palm-sized drone that would hook to iOS or Android, and you could control it and and uh, get pictures, and it had a little, uh, little infrared light array on it so it would work in low light. And they raised $3 million from over 12,000 people. And then they just couldn't produce them. They had all this money, but they, they, they rented the dead ends trying to actually get anybody to manufacture a prototype that would work. So they just didn't have... And the ones they, they did ship barely worked and broke down really easily. So that was just a, a, an idea, a, a, um, an example of just biting off way more than you can chew and over-promising and under-delivering. Um, the other one that, that I've seen come up a lot is there was a crowdfunded movie that a couple of people started. They wanted to make a movie. Okay. Um, the movie was called, and I'm getting to it right now, uh, It's All Good. And they raised $76,000. And they were going to make a, a comedy movie, like a Clerks-style um, indie film. And then they raised all this money for it, and then they took the money, and then they just went quiet. The, the Kickstarter page went quiet for a while, and then... After about two or three years, they woke the page back up and said they can't make the movie 
without further explanation. But then they turned around and posted pictures on Instagram of going on vacations and taking parties with the money. And then they mm. uploaded a trailer that they did shoot with at least some of the money. And the trailer was for a movie that didn't exist about a comedy group that scammed their fans out of thousands of dollars and spent the money on party and vacations. Whoa. So the whole thing was their whole, their plan all along was to scam people. And <laughs> they got away with it. What the fuck, bro? You um, gotta figure there'd be some kind of regulatory action on that, but damn. Well, you know, maybe. But the, the idea of, like, I backed this thing and I never wound up getting it, that's unfortunately all too common of a story. I, I sent whatever company X amount of dollars and then things just folded up. And I'm sure, I, I don't, I've never backed anything on Kickstarter. I don't honestly know the legal ins and outs of the paperwork. I think, like I said, crowdfunding is a good idea on paper, but I'm sure Kickstarter has covered their ass six ways to Sunday, where if somebody is willfully defrauding people, that's one story. But if they just kind of run into problems, you probably, as a, if you back anything on Kickstarter, I'm sure you have to click some kind of EULA that says, I understand that things can fall apart. I understand this is a gamble. I understand that I'm offering money for something that doesn't exist yet in hopes that it will someday exist and I'll get it. But there also has to be legal ramifications for if you're making all these claims of if you're a backer, here's what you're going to receive in return, and then it simply never materializes. Who's held accountable in that situation? And I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I don't really know the ins and outs of a lot of this stuff. I just right. know that a lot of things fail, and a lot of people wind up getting roundly fucked out of the money they, they ponied up for something that never winds up materializing. And I really don't honestly know outside of a couple of sort of like spotlighted examples of how these things went in the aftermath, really how they usually go. Because the law of averages states that if you, you know, most of the stuff on Kickstarter probably doesn't reach fruition. Um whether it's falling short of funding goals or incompetence or fraud or just we bit off more than we could chew. The the law of averages states that a lot of this stuff probably just doesn't ever see the light of day. Um, So for that reason, that reason alone, I I kind of am aware of Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all the crowdfunding platforms, but I just don't, I've never, I've never used them. Um, I'm I'm reading up about this. One of the another, uh, it's widely regarded to be Kickstarter's largest failure. And it's called The Coolest Cooler. Yeah. I was talking to you a little bit about that. The Coolest is a complete redesign of what a cooler can be. First, you've got this 18-volt rechargeable blender. The Coolest comes with a removable Bluetooth speaker. Recharge your gear wherever you are with this waterproof USB charger. The Coolest has waterproof LED lights embedded in the lid so you can easily find what you're looking for with the push of a button. Bottle opener, magnetic cap catcher, plates, knife, corkscrew. It does your taxes and watches your kids. Right. It sounds like one of those old Ron Popeil things. It does it slices, it dices, it makes julienne fries. Will not break. Will not it broke. A Swiss army knife of a thing that keeps your beer cold. A 55-quart hexagonal-shaped cooler. Um, it was crowdfunded in uh, December. Oh, no, wait, that's when it ended. It was crowdfunded back in November 2013, but fell short. They launched a second campaign in July of 2014 amid critical success, raising $13,285,226 with 62,642 backers, making it the most funded Kickstarter campaign of 2014. Yeah. Now, ask me how many of those backers didn't get their fucking cooler. How many of those backers didn't get their fucking cooler? (laughs) Because it says, in December of 2019, the company announced that it was closing, 
with over 20,000 of the initial 62,642 original backers never having received a cooler. Six, over 20,000. That's a third. A third of the backers didn't get what they paid for. Wow. And by and large, I mean, what, I'm trying to find out what the coolers cost. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say what they originally cost. But, uh, yeah, so that's one of the hugest failures on Kickstarter's part is there's such... I have to imagine it was a couple hundred bucks, two, three hundred bucks at least, for a cooler that could do... A regular cooler, 55-gallon cooler, is yeah. going to be upwards of a hundred bucks at this point. So one that slices, dices, and makes julienne fries is going to be, you know, much more expensive. But uh, then you have things like, uh, one of my favorite examples, I'm going to go back to it, is Reading Rainbow. Take a look, it's in a book, a Reading Rainbow. Yeah. Growing up, I was a huge fan of Reading Rainbow and LeVar Burton, way before I knew he was a Star Trek character. Uh, before Star Trek even entered my consciousness, I was a huge fan of Reading Rainbow. And uh, they made a campaign uh, back in... I'm trying to see when this was. July of 2016 was the last update on this Kickstarter. Um, they, ra- they had a goal of $1 million to bring a PBS-funded... Or to bring a... Uh, not PBS-funded, obviously, but... To bring a new version of Reading Rainbow back. And it's such a wholesome show. And such a beautiful show. And I followed this one the entire month it was up. And they raised $5,408,916. Well above. Well above. Their uh, Kickstarter goal. And they brought it back. And and it's, it's such a positive force. But you don't have to take my word for it. Another example that recently came to light i'm a huge fan geek wise of a a a group on uh social media and youtube and all this called viva la dirt league viva la dirt league makes skits and and uh, little things about working in retail and they make skits about being in these video games call of duty uh fortnite PUBG, things like that um they had a kickstarter called the great expansion and what they were trying to do is uh, raise money to expand what they do. They're based out of uh, Australia. I believe it's Australia or New Zealand. I want to say Australia. But they were based down there and they wanted to raise... Um, they had a goal of $100,000. And the goal was just to raise money to build sets and to hire a couple more actors to broaden the troupe and be able to offer wider uh Bang for buck, basically. Mm-hmm. And they closed out their Kickstarter at $2,521,418. A rousing success. And that's... And, and judging by everything that they've talked about in the, uh, um, the description, they're going to be able to get a new office. They're going to be able to get their own studios where they can have lived-in, built sets that can stay there. And they're going to be able to hire more crew. They're going to be able to expand their portfolio. And it's it's really gratifying to see things like this take shape because, you know, this is something that you get the immediate effect for. Yeah, there's, there's Kickstarter backer offers like 
Uh, you get your name in the credits or you get like a physical, like a t-shirt or a coin or whatever. But it's something that you'll see the effects of. You don't have to be a Kickstarter backer to see the success. You don't have to be a Kickstarter backer to watch the new Reading Rainbow. You don't have to be a Kickstarter backer to watch the new Viva La Dirt League stuff. Uh, my, MST3K my, uh, came yeah. back. Mr. Science Theater uh, with an entire new show, a new premise, a new cast. Uh, was able to come back from the dead, ostensibly, and film. Mm -hmm. They're still filming. They've still got another season coming. Uh, yeah. They're able to create more content because of things like Kickstarter. And so, yeah, there are these Kickstarters that are risky. You could end up with a, a turd, a lemon, uh, one of those drones that doesn't work, or the Wii system mm -hmm. that is woefully outdated and... Or you could just pitch your money into a hole and never see anything for it. I mean, even Vaporware. as badly as the Ouya did and and some of these other things, at, at least at some point they, they produce products. I mean, even though Coolest Cooler was is constantly cited as one of the failures of Kickstarter, there are still people that theoretically have um, Ouyas and, and Coolest Coolers in their homes that they still could possibly use. Um, but, you know, there's those other things that just they, 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 they get crowdfunded and then they just never see the light of day for whatever reason. Uh, one of my sort of like favorite slash least favorite of these is there's a company. And this one, again, I, I remember reading about this years ago and I kind of had a lot of hope for it. Um, a company called Elio Motors, E-L-I-O, and you can still find them online. And they actually I still have an active that. website. Yeah, and they had a, a three-wheeled city car that was kind of a motorcycle, kind of a scooter, kind of a smart car, but it was electric, and uh, was supposedly able to go further than most cars. I mean, this is like right around the time when, when Tesla was starting. It was like 2014, and some of them were electric, some of them were fuel. I don't know. It's kind of muddied if you look at the history of it, but it was supposed to be incredibly efficient with energy, and they raised $17 million in its first round of crowdfunding. And 65,000 people reserved a model ahead of time. The backers of this, it wasn't on Kickstarter, but it was a crowdfunded thing. And, or it may have been on Kickstarter, I don't know, it's a long time ago. But it was, people just wanted this car. It looked good, it apparently drove really well, they made a bunch of prototypes that, that went over really well. But then, just nothing. Nothing after that happened. They just, they, they hit a wall, and people would write them, and the emails would bounce, and they still have a website up, but... They burned through all of that money in a couple of months, and they issued, like, expense reports that said it was just all, like, nebulous things like paychecks and parts and supplies. Um, but this thing was supposed to come out almost 10 years ago now, and they've continually pushed back the date. And right about now, it's it's just looking like vaporware. It's going to be the, uh, the Duke Nukem Forever of cars. If it ever comes out, there's no possible way it's going to be as good as they promised it is for years, and it's going to be a day late and a dollar short on every way that they've promised it's going to be great. Right. Um, so there's just it's it's just probably never coming out. They still have a website, but the the rumors around these sort of like tech sphere is that they're just kind of selling off their equipment just to keep the lights on and continue as a going concern and maintain their copyrights and their website and their presence online and not have to. Uh, to completely fold together as a company. It's just a company in name now. They don't have any assets. They don't have any products, which is a bummer because it was, again, one of those things that looked great on paper and they just couldn't deliver it. I'm looking at, uh, I, when I was pulling up the information for the Coolest Cooler, and I sent you a picture of this on uh, yeah, on your phone, but it's uh, they've got the, the company Mischief. You've heard of them before, MSCHF? Yes. They do a lot of those weird mystery boxes and things like that. And 
they're, they're a very interesting company, but they came out with this line of what they call dead startup toys. And so they got a series of five. I sent you the picture. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, what is it? They got the, the coolest coolers, one of them. There's a toy of the Jibo robot, which was a thing for 10 seconds. The Theranos yeah. Mini Lab, the one laptop per child, which is, you know, I gave them credit. That was a good idea, but it just scammy, scam, scam. And then the Juicero, yep. which has failed successfully now. Uh, <laughs> failing upwards. But, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> these are just, these are funny as shit. I swear to God that they made toys out of just failed startup products. It's hilarious to me. But uh kinda kinda think it's funny. But uh yeah, so I mean all oh, the coolest cooler even opens up and everything, that's funny as hell. But uh, nothing like other people mocking your failures successfully. They actually managed to produce these things. And they sold out. Yeah, They've of course they did. A robust second life on eBay. Oh, it even comes with a little fucking blender. <laughs> but, uh, so let us know what you think. I mean, I'm I'm kind of uh, in the same category you are. I mean, I've had some successes with Kickstarter. I tend to gravitate towards the Kickstarters that are already kind of known entities, known quantities. Uh, yeah. I, I don't really like to throw my money at something that probably never happened. And there's just a litany of... Uh, video game properties that just don't happen because they're kickstarted or comic book uh, projects and but you end up with some really good stuff coming out of it as well I'm reading rainbow mystery science theater freaking new wave toys uh, psychonauts 2, 2 which was crowdfunded on fig and is a great game which i've still yet to play i've not played a psychonauts game i need to get on that Oh, man. If there's any one game that I could recommend anybody play that didn't get the shake it deserved in the day, it'd be uh, Psychonauts. And I'm still working on Psychonauts 2, but even though Double Fine has, since they, they crowdfunded Psychonauts 2 on FIG, uh, they have been bought by Microsoft, and now theoretically they have enough money to do anything they fucking well please. But uh, yeah, Psychonauts was originally a crowdfunded game, Psychonauts 2. And uh, it's it's just, it's fantastic. Can't That's recommend really it neat. enough. That's really neat. So, I mean, let us know what you guys think. Uh, are you pro-Kickstarter? Are you anti-Kickstarter? you have good experiences, bad experiences with crowdfunding? Let us know. And, uh, of course, uh, just as an aside, this has been a really good week for, for New Wave Toys. I just received my radios, uh, I want to say it was Wednesday. As of recording, that was four days ago. I love them. They've got a place of prominence on my desk. Um... As of Tuesday this coming week, so two days from now, the Warren Davis Cubert cabinet will be in my hot little hands. And we talked to... Friend of the show, Warren Davis. That's right. We talked to Warren and Shiloh uh, when they announced these cabinets. And I, of course, jumped on that right away as well. Uh, I'm really hoping they've, they've announced and they showed pictures of Warren signing a few of these uh, Warren Davis cabinets and... Uh, they said that they're going to pack those in randomly. So cross your fingers, listeners. Maybe I'll get one of those uh, sought-after, coveted, uh, autographed Kubrick cabinets. But uh, that should come on Tuesday, and I'm super stoked about that. Nope. And if all else fails, I mean, if you don't wind up getting one of the autographed Kubrick cabinets, you can always box it up in small wrap and send it to me because there's a chance 
that I could be heading to the Midwest Gaming Classic, which happens here in uh, southeastern Wisconsin in the Milwaukee area, uh, mm. April 30th and May 1st. And Warren is all over social media saying he's going to be there. He's going to be selling and autographing copies of his book. So if you don't wind up being one of the lucky ones, there's still hope. I, I, I still might be able to jet up there and, and get you a little scribble from Warren if, if, uh, you're not, uh, if you don't hit the lottery in your box. Shit, if anything, just get me a book and get that autographed. and Sure. Just say, hey, remember us? You were on our, our podcast for like half an hour. We love you. <laughs> totally. And we do. We do love you, Warren Davis. It was a lot of fun. But uh, uh, we want to thank you guys for listening to another rambling episode of the Feel Your Phantom podcast. It's what we do. What's what we do. Once again, if you want to reach out and touch us, you can do that. Oh, boy, can you do that. You touch can us. us up. <laughs> On Facebook at facebook.com forward slash feel your fandom. Gmail at feel your fandom at gmail.com. Backup email at fyftalonbooking at gmail.com. Twitter at fuel underscore your. Instagram at fuel your fandom. And uh, of course, you can find us uh, again, crowdfunding stuff, just like we're talking about getting uh, comics into the hands of kids on PayPal, Venmo. And Cash App at at Fuel Your Fandom. And you can find us anywhere you find fine podcasts on any of your podcast distribution platforms. But if you want to get the latest and greatest episode in your ear holes fast, you can always check it. Friday mornings, my boy Saint always uploads the latest and greatest episode on fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. But however you get us into your ear holes, we are happy that you do. We're flattered as hell that you make us a part of your life. And uh, we hope to keep on continuing to bring you quality content for years to come. Absolutely. So, from Jim and I, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast. And please do remember everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care. I, I, I like getting railed in a sundress season. Yeah. You and me both. Folks. Well, I mean, <laughs> depends on which end of the sundress I'm on, I suppose. Hey, yo.